Hey everybody, my name is Elliot Waters and you're listening to the Disregulator Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Alright, so today's episode, this is going to be a good one because you'll never believe it, but I am finally back in therapy. Yes! How good, we're finally back. And this time I'm going to stick with it, hopefully. Anyway, we'll find out as we go along. But I do want to do some reflections after these psychology visits from here on in. So this is the first one. This is me going back and going over a bit of old territory, but coming up with some new ways to try and alleviate some of those negative thoughts that just tend to hang around, unfortunately. So I made a decision before I went in. I was like, right, we've been avoiding the really, you know, the raw stuff. And a lot of that has to do with stuff I've spoken about on the podcast before, and there's plenty more to come about this as well. But a lot of things that were happening around the age of 16, this is when the BPD sort of started to take hold. The conditions were right, and the BPD slipped in and started to take hold. You know, there's a lot of relationship stuff going on, a lot of peer pressure, a lot of, you know, trying to figure out your place in the world, your, you know, your social hierarchies and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of emotional trauma, I would say, from that sort of age. So when I'm in therapy, typically, if we do an exercise or or a technique, say that, that, you know, so for example, I don't actually know what this is called. I did this a while ago. Let's see if I remember how it went. But the idea was I had to think of an emotion, like I think think sadness might have been the one that I picked. Then I had to meditate on that feeling. So where could I feel physically that feeling of sadness. And for me, it's the pit of my stomach. A lot of my negative emotions at the pit of my stomach and sadness definitely, definitely fit the bill on that one. So I could feel it, I could imagine. And then what I had to do, this is where I'm going to butcher it, but it was something like this. It was a while ago now. What you had to do was think of memories, but going back in the past, thinking of memories. So something that happened last or yesterday, something that happened last week, and then think of something a month ago. And then think of something 12 months ago, two years, so on and so forth. Your brain, unbelievably, will just sort of pick up on this and throw memories at you. It's pretty cool, actually. It's a pretty cool phenomena, except, of course, these memories aren't particularly positive ones. But so as you go back in your past, you usually hit an end spot where you sort of get stuck and you can't go back any further. It's a bit hard to get out of it as well. And for me, for all of the negative emotions, sadness, whether it's embarrassment or shame or whatever you want to call it, whenever I did this exercise, it just about always went back to around that age of 16. But that's one thing to say, okay, obviously stuff happened when I was 16. There's stuff there that is still holding on that I can't let go of that I really need to because it's holding me back. It's one thing to identify that that's an important age or an important period to look at, but then it's another thing to actually look at it. So there was a lot of identification. Oh, yes, there's bad memories there or whatever, or I can feel that this emotion started here, whatever, you know. That's all well and good. But what you really got to do is then dive into the memory and sort of unpack it, straighten it out and be like, all right, what's the lesson to be learned here? Why did this happen? Why are we still holding on? And how can we let go? And that's the sort of next step of the process that I've never been particularly good at. So this time when I went back to therapy with my psychologist, I made a decision, right, we're going to go right in right into the core. There's no mucking around now. It's now or never. Let's do this properly, as painful as it's going to be. 
So I went in there all guns blazing, ready to go. I said, right, this is it. This is what I want to talk about, you know, as per usual, me trying to direct the course of therapy because Elliot knows best, when funnily enough, sometimes I actually don't. So anyway, um, so my psychologist said, you know what, before we get into that, that's a great idea. We'll get into that, definitely. But let's get the basics down first. So now I'm going to forget this and get this wrong too, but there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So there's different levels. So like safety and security and like shelter is one and then it's got like you know diet and stuff like that's the next level and then and then eventually the top level i've completely ruined that i'll do an episode of maslow's hierarchy of needs but basically just forget about that point the main point though that he brought up with me that was very important was okay it's good to go in and dive in and try and attack these negative thoughts and you know get that imposter syndrome talk to that inner critic and get it to slow down and stop but you can't do any of that if you don't have the basic building blocks the fundamentals in place so for me that is exercising going to the gym going running which i am doing which is great more on that in future episodes um you know good diet which i certainly don't have at the moment um, you know, good sleep, weight cycles, you know, this is the sort of basic building blocks of a healthy life, not just a mentally healthy life, but a healthy life in general. And he said, Elliot, you need to get the basics down first. You're getting some of them, which is great, but you need to lock them in. Because once it's locked in, that will unlock our ability to go back, straighten out some of these negative cognitions and negative thought processes, and then let that stuff go. And then the 16-year-old that I've spoken about on this podcast many times before, the 16-year-old then can be at ease and know that he can be comfortable and confident in the fact that this version of me, the 30, almost three-year-old, you know, me behind the wheel is not a scary proposition. Let me do it. It's all right. I've got this. But in order to get to that point, we need to have the fundamentals set in place. Now, it gets a little bit more tricky than that. So I've also said on this podcast or alluded to a few times about you know, these sort of different identities or personas that I take on. So one's like the academic version of me. There's the sporty sort of rocky version of me. There's the rock and roll star, you know, version of me, which I've made an episode on that. That's the very destructive one. And and that persona well and truly is intertwined with the 16-year-old and the, and the, um, the, the insecurities that come from that age. Um, and there's a few others. So this is classic with borderline personality disorder, taking on sort of, now it's not complete different identities like in disassociative identity disorder, but at the same time, it is still distinct sort of persona differences. So, you know, for example, the rock and roll star, I'll wear me, me, um, me denim jacket, you know, I've got me ACDC shirt on, you know, all that sort of stuff, the tight jeans, you know, real rock and roll. Whereas the sporty Elliot, you know, I'll be wearing like, you know, workout gear and all that sort of stuff and, you know, have all the shorts on and stuff. And my whole mentality is different, you know. My priorities when I'm the rock and roll star is just to get messed up because that's what's cool, because that's what the 16-year-old is telling me. If we do that stuff, people won't rip us off. So do that stuff and then we're cool. So that's rock and roll stars very much driven by the 16 year old but the other sort of personas in particular this sporty one which is very much like my rocky persona i've spoken about rocky before on this podcast huge part of my life and to be honest it in itself is a bit of an identity that i attribute to or, or hold on to that's for sure so what my psychologist said is all right let's not 
fight the fact that there's a few different personas and and versions of Elliot. Now, they're not distinct versions, all right? It's still the same me. It's the singular self. But I guess the way it expresses itself is, is a little bit different. There's different priorities. And for the Rocky version, it's all about getting fit, being tough, you know, and just smashing it, getting, you know, stronger and just really dialed into that sort of healthy way of living. Very competitive, very competitive, which has been a problem before. And it's a bit of a problem at the moment because, you know, the name of the game right now isn't to, you know, run a marathon or, or do, you know, sub, I don't know, four minute kilometers over 5k. I can't remember what it used to do, but it's not about that. And that's where that persona gets a little bit extreme. We want to, that's the thing, BPD, these extremes need to bring that in and just sort of focus on the fundamentals of that persona, which is, you know, being healthy, being fit, all that sort of stuff. So my psychologist said, let's not fight the reality of, of what's going on because we will undo a few of these identities and, and form them into one cohesive unit, which is the self, which is Elliot. Anyway, that is a work in progress. So we're not going to fight that. What we're going to do, though, is really focus in on the rocky fit version because that of all the different sort of identities that I like to take on or, or, or ways I like to express myself is the healthiest and is most conducive to good results in therapy because we're eating right. We're sleeping right because we've got to get fit. You know, We've got to put on some muscle. So we're, we're sleeping well. We're training hard. And yeah, yeah, that, that, this rocky persona comes with it, if we do it properly, a lot of dopamine. There is a lot of dopamine wrapped up in this identity because we're doing good things and we know that we're doing good things and we're pushing ourselves not to the extremes though, of course, if we can help, we've got to bring those extremes in, but it's a very healthy, driven sort of mind state. And out of all the sort of little personas and and, and masks and all that different stuff that I put on, it is this one that we've called the Rocky persona. It is the one that will hopefully set me up for not only great results physically, but great results emotionally, cognitively, you know, mentally in general as well. So that was a big part of it. So I went in there saying, I want to attack this area of my, my personality. I want to go back to these certain memories and talk about this and straighten this out. And quite rightly, my psychologist, who would have thought, knows more about this and has better ideas about this than me, the objective authority that is my psychologist, he said, no, 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 take a step back. Let's just get, you know, try and get this singular sort of approach to living going, which is the this persona, this athletic rocky persona. Get that down. Then that means, hopefully, the fundamentals will be locked in place. Like I said, diet, exercise, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then when we've got that real firm foundation where we can tick those boxes, when we're, you know, running at our best, we're doing all the right things, that is the time and the conditions and the environment in which real psychological change can happen. You know, I was told once, you know, if, you, if you're doing therapy but you're abusing substances, um, I've, I've been told, and I think this is definitely true, that psychology interventions just do not work. The, the substance abuse uh, sort of takes all the, all the, I don't know, the, the, the space for change because it is all empower, uh, not, no, definitely not empowering, all, all overpowering. 
and it gets in the way and you just can't get into the real therapeutic sort of stuff because the substance abuse is blocking it. You know, that, that behavior and, the, and everything that goes with it is blocking it. And I think it's similar when it comes to a bad diet. You know, if you're eating sugar and having a crap load of caffeine, which I do, you know, that in itself causes anxiety. That ruins the ability to get in this therapeutic zone and see those changes. Now, if you're not sleeping right, if you're having three hours of sleep, you can't concentrate. If you're like me with ADHD, that gets a lot worse. That in itself is a block to getting in this therapeutic zone. So we've got to remove the blockages. And God, there's a lot of blockages in my world. But that is exactly what we're going to do, I hope, because it is very, very important that this gets done. We've got to get the fundamentals right, and then we can kick on and improve and build that life worth living that I mentioned. That is the goal. That is the key. All right. So that's my return to therapy. I hope that makes sense. At the moment, I'm actually, this is pretty cool. I'm actually at the University of Newcastle City campus. And what's cool is because I'm now a research assistant here and I have my staff card, I'm in some lecture hall that when I was a student, I was never allowed in. You know, I'd swipe my card and it'd reject me. Whereas now, now that I've got this staff card, I'm in this lecture hall as I'm doing. This is unbelievable. Like, Seriously, this is going to do wonders for the podcast. This is so cool. But it's interesting, though, as I sit here, you know, I'm at the front of the room, say I was a lecturer, although I'm sitting down, not standing. But it's funny because I can feel people's eyes on me. There's no one in this. There's no one in here. It's just me. Um, And the seats are empty, but there's a lot of seats. And the seats, you know, they represent people's, even still, even knowing that there's no one there, my anxiety is saying, no, 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 there's people sitting in those seats, they're looking at you and they're judging you negatively. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a, that's very interesting that that sort of happens. I think that needs a bit of a dive into as well, because um, it's interesting how, and these are why, again, these are mental illnesses, they're disorders. They're not just, oh, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed. Like there is literally no one in this room, and yet I feel like there's a hundred people staring at me right now as I speak. That is mental health disorder right there. That is not an appropriate response to the stimuli, which is an empty lecture room. Yeah, maybe a little bit of anxiety because, you know, it's it's a big room and there'd be a lot of serious topics discussed in here and some real serious brain power. But I shouldn't feel like there's a hundred people looking at me and judging me negatively. It's just it's just not in line. With, with the catalyst of what I'm actually seeing in my environment, which is nobody. So that's very interesting. So we might talk a bit more about that down the track as well. All right, that's enough for me. I need to get out of here before I get booted out and my staff card is taken away. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. As always, I would love to hear some feedback. If you've got any, I love the feedback. I love talking to people on Instagram. And if you do want to talk to me on Instagram, you can follow me at elliot.t.waters or you can follow the show at thedysregulated.podcast. All right, until next time, thank you, everybody. Catch you later.